I'm going to try one-handed preaching. I am not a one-handed preacher, just to let you know. I am a two-handed preacher. Um, is there a stand? Is there a mic stand? I'm going to try it, but I, I, I may not make it. Uh, I actually had a friend one time imitate me preaching, and it was just arms. And I'm like, I use words. He goes, not really. Just, mostly it's arms, but we'll try it. Um, before COVID, are we good? Am I holding this close enough? Before COVID, um, actually during COVID, Carolyn and I had regular Zoom calls with Tommy and then his brother and sister-in-law, Christian and Sue, um, who we, we attend Frontier in Pasadena primarily. And um, we had regular Zoom calls with them. And at the end of the Zoom call, it was always the same thing. It was um, just going over like church stuff and coaching stuff. And at the end of the call, Carolyn would turn to me and go, I like Tommy. I go, I like Tommy too. And then we'd have like the next month, we'd have another call and we'd talk about this and that and just Tommy's engagement and his spirit and everything. And then we would say, click off, leave Zoom meeting, leave Zoom meeting, click. And Carolyn would turn to me and go, I like Tommy. I go, I do too. He's a really awesome guy. So we like Tommy very much. <laughs> and uh, you guys have something unique. You guys have something wonderful. We're just leaning into that. Uh, Tommy is, um, so I, I just say this by way of, like I know a little bit about what I'm talking about. Um, I took over a church in San Francisco, converted it from what it was into a vineyard. Uh, we went through the Toronto renewal. That was awesome. Blew the church up completely. And then we planted a church in San Mateo. And after that, the movement asked me to oversee church planting in the Bay Area. And then after, I did that for 10 years. And then the last four years, I had like governmental authority over 15 churches. And, but they trained me on how to train and coach church plants and churches in general. So it was, I benefited from it. It was great. Um, so with that background, having sewn into pastors, and when I took over church, I really didn't have anybody to coach me. I was literally just tossed like good luck kid. Um, and so I just have a, the heart that that doesn't happen to others. And so been involved in um, pastors and churches and just coaching. And even when I stepped down, I just kind of continued that role of it. And um, so with that background, uh, I think I'm qualified to say Tommy's very good. And Tommy is a very good intuitive leader. And he just kind of gets it like, oh, like the things he does naturally and like, oh, we should do this. We should go here. Like, yeah. Uh, he Anyway, you guys are extraordinarily blessed. Getting together with him is one of the highlights of my week. Amen. And this is, a, I've said this, I preached here a while ago and the configuration was a little different, but I love being here. I grew up in Westwood. This is a homecoming. I'm now preaching in a building with Kobe on the wall. Come on. Um, this is like, yeah, I feel home. I, I uh, grew up Catholic. I went to St. Paul's right on Selby and Ohio. Raised there for many years, still have a lot of friends there, went to school there. I'm the youngest of six. We all went there. And so I'm a Westwood kid through and through. I can tell you all kinds of hysterical, ridiculous, um, sinful stories of my childhood <laughs> growing up here in Westwood. Just by a show of hands, anybody grow up in L.A.? How all right. Yeah. About 10%. Okay. <laughs> 
Amen. Angelinos. Amen. Awesome. Wonderful. You guys are, you have a great intuitive leader. You have a great um, elder senior leadership team. You guys are rolling on a lot of levels. You have a great future. You have a great future. You are going to be moving into your destiny. And what I want to talk to you about today is three things that the Lord said to somebody before they moved fully into their destiny because it pertains to this church. Because this is kind of where you guys are at of like, man, it's rolling, we have momentum, this is great. I mean, after worship today, the fruit of worship is usually not to swear, but after worship this morning, it said, amen, and I turned to Carolyn, I said, holy crap. I mean, that was good. That was really good. And so you have a lot going on, a lot of positive things going on. And I want to look at a couple of passages at the beginning of Joshua. The book of Joshua is, to, God does multiple things at the same time, in case you didn't realize that. One, he deals with a people like this congregation, and two, he deals with an individual like you. At the same time, their destinies are interwoven. And the, the destiny of Joshua as an individual is tied to the destiny of the people of Israel moving into the promised land. And... What I love about, um, I was trained to view scripture inductively, which is just to look at the words even before you know what they mean. And one of the real mind-blowing things about the book of Joshua is just the name, just not the name Joshua, the title. So all throughout the first five books of the Bible, Moses, the Pentateuch, Moses is, is called, his title is Moses, servant of the Lord. Moses, servant of the Lord. Joshua is simply Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aide. That's his name, his title, Moses' aide. He's like, Moses number two. Awesome. And that's how it begins in the book of Joshua. And then Moses' aide is dropped, and he's just called Joshua. And then at the very, very end of the last chapter, in chapter 24, Joshua divides up, you get this part of the promised land, you get that promised land. It's like Oprah, you get this part of the promised land, you get that part of the promised land. And then just before he dies, it says, Joshua, servant of the Lord. And what the author is saying is that through the book of Joshua, there is a journey of an individual moving into his calling as he leads a group of people into their calling and their destiny. So that, I'm telling you, scripture's amazing. That's just, you get that understanding just from acknowledging the titles that they were given. Son of none, Moses' aid is dropped. And not until the very end is he given the title, servant of the Lord. Wouldn't that be great on your tombstone? Your name, servant of the Lord. Before he gets there, the Lord says three things to him. 
Three things that set the course. Tommy and I, in our conversations, we, we talk about like the plumb line in Amos 7. It talks about the plumb line. I think Tommy has mentioned this to you guys as well. And the idea is there is a line literally with a plumb on the bottom. And they would hold it, and as they would build buildings, they would hang it, and it would be totally vertical. They would, it would be vertical, and they would go, oh, the, the wall is perfect down here, and it starts to lean, and I can see that because of the line that's attached to the plumb, the plumb line, and so it's off a little bit over there. Perfect. And so keeping things completely straight is key. These three words that the Lord says to Joshua are bringing things back to plumb because you have to get these things nailed now because as you grow and as you move forward, if you're off a little bit, the whole thing's going to be built screwy. So it's constantly, hold on, hold on, are we plumb? Are we plumb? Are we good? And that's what I'm saying to you today. Here are three things for Evergreen to make sure we're good because you're growing, because you're moving forward, because things are freaking awesome here. <laughs> That was a prophetic word, freaking awesome. <laughs> so if you have your Bible app, open to Joshua chapter one. Verse one, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, there it is, there's the title, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid. So this is early, young, immature Joshua, not yet fully in his destiny, Joshua. So the Lord says to him, verse two, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. The first word is a word of exhortation. Here's what you need to know, Joshua. Moses is dead. Do you think Joshua knew that? I think Joshua knew that. I think the two to three million people that Moses led out of captivity and around in circles in the desert and he was the guy, and he was the lawgiver, and he was the leader, and he, Joshua was there. Joshua was raised up. At one point, Joshua had his hands up, and they won the, Joshua held up Moses' arms, and they won the battle. There was a long history with Moses. And now, in an instant, all of that responsibility and all that leadership is thrust onto Joshua. Two to three million people are now looking at you, dude. And you would think, like in our culture, we'd be like, ooh, that's heavy. Take a year to grieve. <laughs> like, whoa, I don't know, man. Like, think, Joshua, process this. You need to process this. And the Lord says, nope. Moses is dead. What he's saying and why it's so important. 
is because the calling that this church has and the calling that you have as an individual, you must let the past die. You must move on from what was. Moses was awesome. The good, the bad, the ugly of it all is dead. It is over. And you can't be present to hear what the Lord's going to take you into the future if you keep dragging around the past. I don't care. The past was good. The past was great. Dude, I was a vineyard pastor in the 90s. It was awesome. It was so awesome. We went to Toronto. Carolyn was very pregnant with Michael. That's why he's so freaking prophetic. It was amazing. (laughs) Carolyn, as a petite woman, very pregnant, got slain in the spirit. Very pregnant women, thump, just bam. And she was fine because it was the Lord. And people are praying and prophesying. I mean, the 90s were awesome. I'm telling you. They were freaking awesome. And you know what I'm not interested in? I'm not interested in resurrecting the 90s. I'm not interested in resurrecting my role in the 90s. I've never been called historic before, but I appreciate that, Tommy. Apparently, I am now a Los Angeles historic icon. That's amazing. That's amazing. So make sure you check with zoning before you change the windows out because it's historic now. They were great. They were yesterday. But what I take from that is the passion to know what is the Father saying today? What's the Father saying now? And you know what? Some of you come from a great church history. You come from a great church experience and you're looking for it again. You're never going to find it. And you're going to miss what the Father's doing today because you keep looking for what you used to have. And what you used to have is dead. It was great. It was awesome. It formed you. It fashioned you. It molded you. It empowered you. It gave you values that you hold dear today. Keep those. But move the heck on. Because it is over. Some of you have history that's kind of bad. I love, who's the gal doing the Song of Solomon? Erica, Erica. Erica. come on, Erica. That was awesome. Some of you have a history that wasn't great and it was painful and it sucked and maybe it was church, maybe it was life, maybe it was family, maybe it was something that was done to you or something that you did. And it's really hard to be present because you keep dragging that anchor around. And it's doing you no good. And you know what? I I know this is a younger church, um, probably a lot of dating relationships. And I actually, this is in my notes, kind of what Erica said, that you know, maybe compassion sometimes is the Christian excuse for codependence. And some of you, are attached to somebody that ain't no good. Let it go. Let it go. 
if they are not encouraging you in your walk with the Lord, if they are not saying, the most important thing to me is your relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. The most important thing to me is your relationship with the Lord. And I will never get in the way of that. Find that person. Find that person. But stop rehearsing your failures. Stop hanging on to things that you don't need to hang on to. You know, there was, um, this is LA. I love LA. I'm from LA, like I said. I went up to San Francisco to finish a degree in filmmaking, so I am one of you. So, <laughs> right? I got my degree in filmmaking. And actually, shortly, like a couple years later, very young. I was very young. I wanted to get to the whole story. But I took over a church of like five to 600 people. And the only degree I had was in filmmaking. And I'm like, Lord, I did not go to seminary. And all these people expect a good Bible teaching on Sunday. What is happening? And the Lord spoke to me. He said, I taught you how to tell stories. Now tell mine. Yeah. All right. Okay, I can do that. So I love the, en the entertainment industry. I'm... I'm Okay, this is prophetic, and I don't normally preface something by saying it's prophetic, but listen to what I'm about to say. And I have a heart for the people in the industry. And growing up in the vineyard, the vineyard I so appreciate instilled in us a heart for the poor and the marginalized and the broken and the hurting. We were a major hospital as a movement. And the whole time I was thinking, I get that. That is so thoroughly Jesus. That is so thoroughly in the scriptures but I'm from Westwood. What about my friends? They're not hurting. They're all loaded. My best friend, I went to uni high, literally on Barrington. I graduated uni high, 1980. Um, I was voted most rowdy. Most rowdy. Uni the one individual, they go, who's the craziest person of them all, and 500 seniors said, that dude. <laughs> but my best friend's dad was president of a major motion picture studio. President. All of my, many of my friends, I just, I, if I just gave you their last name, you'd go, oh. And so I've always had a heart for like, yeah, but what about those people? I understand the hurting the law. I understand the hospital thing, but there's a lot of people of wealth and means who they're just as lost. My prophetic word is, may the Lord bring to you those with means, those who are not hurting, those who are not down and out, but they're up and out. May the Lord release to this congregation the ability to reach the executives and the studio heads and those with means and those who live in Malibu, those who live in Bel Air, in Jesus' name, may that be released to you. Amen. Back to my notes. Let the past go. So, some of you remember Ben Affleck um, directed Argo. And in an interview, he said a little bit in his acceptance speech, I looked it up again, it was in an interview, and he said that he, that George Clooney, his buddy George, said to him, don't burn bridges in Hollywood because the person who you felt burned you on this project is going to fund and support you on the next project. And he said that 
in light of him winning the Academy Award for Argo. Clearly, there's a backstory with people involved in Argo burned him in another project. There's just a lot of opportunity in business and in Hollywood to hold on to grudges. And you know what? Let it go. It just doesn't matter. There was a guy, I'm, I'm in finance now, and there's a, a guy who um, I worked for a hedge fund, and then I left, and I didn't realize at the time, but this CEO of this hedge fund sues all of his clients and all of his ex-employees. Oh, I didn't realize that. So I start getting nasty letters about this, that, and everything else, completely unfounded, but that was just his MO. And so I hired an attorney who is writing very nasty letters to their attorney. And their attorney, not only did my attorney say, you have no legal right for this, but also started to mock the other attorney's grammar in the letter that he sent me. And I'm like, I don't know if we should go after his grammar. That's kind of heavy. <laughs> this may not turn out well if we go after his grammar. It got resolved. Basically, they stopped because they knew they had nothing to go on. So it just sort of faded away. Do you know that the attorney who used to work for the hedge fund that wrote me nasty letters is now sending me referrals what? <laughs> and we connected on LinkedIn. I'm like, dude, I've always liked you quite a bit. Next time you're in LA, let's have lunch, blah, 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 blah. He said, I always liked you too. Let it go, people. It's business. I don't care. I just don't care whether the guy likes me or doesn't like me. He's sending me referrals. I love this guy. He's sending me business. Let it Go, just for crying out loud, let it go. Some of you, I understand, really, really were burned. And I know this is hard, but I'm telling you this, that if somebody stole something in your past, do what you can to not give them the power to steal your present and certainly to steal your future. And the way you do not give them power is to let it go. It doesn't mean that, th that you're saying that they're right. It doesn't mean that you're validating this horrid thing that they did. What it means is, Lord, you deal with them. I am moving on. And then you are present with the Lord in your present and in your future. And you know what, people, this is only point one. So get comfortable. Um, you know what people who have a hard time of letting go of the past will always say? I need just a little more time. Oh, no, no, you're right. You're right. You're right. I know. I know. I just, not today. Just not today. I'm going to hold on to it today because it's become comfortable. And it's what I know. And I don't know what freedom feels like, but I know what bondage feels like. So I'll just stay in bondage. I just need a little more time. And so the Lord says to Joshua straight away, Moses is dead. Move the heck 
on. Get these people ready. Get yourself ready because we have something important to do. And if you follow history, Joshua letting go of the past and moving to his destiny and bringing the people of Israel into destiny impacts our geopolitical world today. So the Lord said, I don't have time to give you time. It has to be today. May the Lord give you grace today to be free of the death and the destruction that you've been carrying around. Yes, Moses is dead, but I'm telling you, Jesus is very much alive and living in Southern California. He goes on to verse four, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the West. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. If there's, um, I don't want to get ahead of myself. If there's any promise that you, that you can live your life on, and we sang about it early, is, it is this promise. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Therefore, verse six, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Verse seven, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn to it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Verse nine, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. The first thing he says is Moses is dead. The second thing is a bit of encouragement. And he says, be strong and courageous. Here's my problem with that. God repeatedly, repeatedly, in the first five books of the Bible, promised Israel that he is going to take them into the land of promise. It was a promise about the land. It was so promised. It was so part of their DNA. They just called it the promised land. They didn't have to draw a map and say, with Hittites, Egyptites, Hittites, this. No, they did the promise. We're just going into the promised land. And it was so much woven into their fabric that literally the Mosaic law, not just the Ten Commandments, but the other commandments that Moses gave the Israelites, much of it could not even be fulfilled in captivity or in the desert. It had, Moses is prophesying something, and when you're in the promised land, live this way. How can you, one of them was like, and when you're farming and when you're harvesting, to leave the outer edges for the poor. How can you do that when you're wandering the desert? How can you do that when you're in captivity in Egypt? The whole thing was contingent upon God is going to move them into the promised land. You can take it to the bank. They're going to move them into the promised land. So why do I have to be courageous? When God tells you to be strong and courageous, that's kind of like, why? What's going to happen? We're charismatics. We're Pentecostals. When the Lord gives us a prophetic word, you know what we do? I receive it. Yeah. <laughs> prophetic word is not an excuse to be passive. And we get that screwed up sometimes. And we go, the Lord gave me prophetic word. It was part of our culture. It's everything we talked about. This whole land was supposed to be given to us. 
and it didn't happen. He said, right, because I gave you the word as a goal. Your job is to battle for it. And in the, in the charismatic Pentecostal world, we forget that the promise is a battle plan. It is not a reason to go passive at all. The promise of God is the reason to grind. I, will, I, I, I know, I know, because I know church. I know the backbones of this church. I'll tell you, I'll tell you right now. And some of you are going to, you're going to go, finally. You're the grinders. You get up tomorrow morning because it's Monday and you're going to have a job that you like, okay. And you've deferred gratification and you've got the degree and maybe you got a second degree and it's good, but you have enough money to tithe and, and you're involved in a small group because you're a grinder because that's your expectations is that we serve and we give and we do everything and nobody really knows me because I'm not famous and I'm not all that rich. I just grind. And here's, here's the part. The people don't, here's the part that people miss. One, you are the backbone of this church because you're the backbone of every church because you're just great at what you do and your expectations are, I work hard. That's my expectation of life. Here's my expectation of life. I work hard. Therefore, I'm happy. I'm not upset. This is my, this is, I grind. We all grind. This is just what we do. And it's those people who lay, and I'm, see that gray? <laughs> it's those people who later on in life have what Jesus called the abundant life. But they grinded to get there. And it's other people who don't feel that they need to grind who are always saying, hey man, can you loan me a book? Hey man, I'm a little short this month. Hey man, like, yeah, life's, life's not great. Bro, you gotta get up tomorrow morning and go to work. Sorry, that's not very, like, spiritual. But you going to work is the backbone of this church. And you being involved in community is the backbone of this church. So one of the reasons why we do not attain what is promised to us is because we don't fight and battle and grind for it. So we need to be strong. And you know why we need to be strong and courageous? Because clearly there's going to be opposition to the promise of God in your life. And there's going to be opposition. They're called the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Canaanites, all the ites that are listed. And there's going to be opposition at, to this church as it grows and prospers and takes new territory and takes new land. There's going to be opposition to you fulfilling your destiny. I'm telling you right now, I'm sorry, this is bad news. It saves your behind. Yeah. When I just tell you, yeah, the Lord said to be strong and courageous because you're going to have to be strong and courageous. Because it's not easy, but it's wonderful. And it's glorious. 
You know, there are, again, multiple things going on. This is, this is one of those scriptures that um, is not on the website of a Pentecostal or charismatic conference. This scripture has never made it to the front of a conference. Consider it pure joy, my brethren, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because, you know, the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may, may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And as charismatics, we go, I want everything the Lord has. Lord, give me everything. He goes, are you sure you want everything? Because it's not just love, and it's not just power, it's maturity. Are you sure you want maturity? No. I just want the presence of the Lord during worship like we had today. Because, because this is so much better than growing up. Dude, I'm a church guy. I know. I know. Like I said, we did Toronto in the 90s. I get it. We have a solid theology of breakthrough. Books by people I love and admire are written about breakthrough. We have a theology about victory. We have a theology about provision. We have a theology about miracles. We have a lot of great charismatic Pentecostal theologies. What we need is a theology of maturity. So for some strange reason, the Lord combines these two words. It's promised to you, be strong and courageous. Because there are going to be a lot of ups and downs. There's going to be times where Joshua, one of two people in scripture who speaks to the sun and moon, tells them to stop and they stop. Want to talk anointing? I have never spoken to the sun and moon. I've howled a couple times, but that was, that was in high school. Come on. He was anointed, and he had so many victories, and he had so much breakthrough. Breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough. And then this guy hid something in a tent he wasn't supposed to hide, and they went up to the city called Ai, which was the original Ai, and they lost. They lost. And the Lord was like, wait a minute. Let's regroup. The Lord says, yeah, I told you, don't take those things. And somebody took those things and they hid them and that's why you lost. And they had to regroup. It's not the end of the story. Failure's never the end of the story. It's just part of the story. And so he moves on from that. But you know, we get these struggles internally with the ups and the downs of our faith. Have you ever said, Lord, I know that I'm doing what you told me to do. Lord, I am not doing these things over here and I am doing these things over here. Why does my life suck? Am I the only one? Am I the only one? When you do everything right and you know you're in the will of God and you're getting your proverbial ass kicked,
kicked. So there's one more thing in the plumb line. The plumb line, before you reach your destiny, is three things. One, move on from the past. Two, be strong and courageous because there's a battle coming. And here's the third. And the way this works is, is um, the theologies and the scripture are not wrong. It's the way we internalize things. So just listen to me. Here's plumb. And maybe years ago in the church, there was great, great, great sermons that you should read because they're true titled things like Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It worked, but we are not going to do that this, in this era, in this time. So we're over here. Also true, God loves you. God has a plan for your life. God is your loving Father. And we leave, man, that song wrecked me today about leaning back into the presence of the Father. And then God has a new identity for you. And your identity is a victorious person. If he's the king and you're the child of the king, that makes you a prince or a princess. And we go, yes, my identity is a prince or a princess. And then we keep coming over, to over here's Plum. And then somehow or another, we take a step past Plum. Yeah. And we're somewhere we shouldn't be. And the Lord has to go, I didn't mean that. Tap, 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 tap. <laughs> and we have to go back to Plum. Chapter five. Then when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him, sorry, chapter five, verse 13, if you're following along in your app. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as a commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Some people think this is the pre-incarnate Christ that Joshua had an encounter with Jesus. That term, commander of the Lord, the Lord's host, the Lord's army. Some think it's just a high-ranking angel, like Michael um, or Gabriel or one of the others. It doesn't matter, because this entity is communicating the words of God to Joshua. So for our purpose this morning, it doesn't matter. But have you ever asked yourself, Lord, I'm doing everything right. It's not working out. Whose side are you on? Because if I'm a prince or princess of the king, if my new identity is in Jesus, if you love me with an abandoned love, if you call me back home, if you empower me, if you give me a calling and inheritance and power, if you give me power, then clearly you're on my side. And the Lord says, nope. Here's Plum. Plum is this, hear me Evergreen. The Lord is not on your side. Oh, it got quiet. I'm only here because I thought God was on my side. I'm only here because I thought Jesus made me live my best life. Is that not true? 
I'm only here because Jesus helps me get breakthrough. You see, we feel like when we are, when we become a Christian, that we get to pick our team. And I'll pick Carolyn, because she's really godly and cute as can be. So she's in. I'll pick Michael and Tatiana. They're awesome. They're family. They're prophetic. They're on my team. I'll pick Jesus. Because Jesus is like LeBron James of the heavenly realm. (laughs) And when I have LeBron James, see, LeBron James, you pick LeBron James or Kobe because he helps you win your games. I have Jesus on my team so that he helps me win my games. So that Jesus helps me get the breakthrough. Isn't that his job? No. That is not his job. He is not your breakthrough genie. He is not on your side and he doesn't work for you. I'm sorry to tell you the truth. Either you are on his side or you're not. Those are the only two options. Jesus being on your side is not an option. It's not what we signed up for. And I understand what happens. I understand. I'm just, just trust me, I get it. Lord, you're supposed to be on my side. And this really blows. And I'm doing everything right. And I shouldn't be in this much pain for this long. Where the hell are you? Because you apparently are not on my side. You apparently aren't doing what you're supposed to be doing. Our wonderful, beloved grandson, God bless him. His name is Jackson Brown. No kidding. And he's almost three, has asthma. I think pretty good asthma. He's been jacked up significantly on steroids, and he is very smart. I know he's my grandson, so I'm saying smart, but he is very smart and very, very verbal and very, very energetic anyway. You put that kid on steroids, and he never sleeps, he never stops talking, and he has fits of rage that the doctor said, don't worry about it, it's delusion. He's literally delusional. And I can just imagine little almost three-year-old Jackson, just like, this isn't right! No! Lord, you said you'd show up. Lord, you said this. You promised me this. Lord, come on! You're not fulfilling your word. Do you understand how many followers I have? Because if you don't show up soon... I'm going to walk away, deconstruct my faith, and post it on social media. So you better do your damn job, Lord, and break through for me. And the Lord sits there and goes, no. I'm not on your side. Either you are on my side or you're not. 
what we have is what I call spiritual entitlement. Spiritual, let me tell you something about entitlement because it, it impacts a lot of your relationships. Entitlement leads to resentment. Resentment leads to destruction every time in every relationship, in every environment. I'll say it again. If there's anything you remember from this morning, write these three things down. It's all that matters. Entitlement leads to resentment, which leads to destruction. And we serve a God who is, redeems our destruction and shows us mercy in our destruction, who, who has a plan for us, who comes in and forgives and does all this stuff with the destruction that we cause, but it'd be a whole lot easier if we dealt with our resentment by pulling out from the roots our sense of entitlement. Ask yourself, what did he actually promise? Can I really mess with you theologically? We love Hebrews 11. This person killed it. 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 Then it says at the end, it says, some attained their promise, like the promises that God gave them, and they were flogged and beaten and jailed, and some were cut in half. You go, that's fulfilling the promise? And then it goes on and it says this other bewildering thing, that this list, they did not attain what was promised. We go, Lord, then I'm so confused on what you actually promise. What am I entitled to? And at the end of the day, he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. The rest might be fulfilled now and it might be fulfilled later. But it's all grace. It's all good. Can we, do we, are we good? Okay, I'm gonna, let me cue this up and then we're gonna end, we're wrapping up. Thanks for your patience. Um, four years ago, Anderson Cooper from CNN, his mom is Gloria Vanderbilt, the fashion icon. His mom died. He has a conversation with Stephen Colbert. Both Anderson Cooper lost his dad when he was 10. Colbert lost his dad when he was 10. I lost my dad when I was eight. I have gleaned a lot from this conversation. And um, Colbert was actually, he's very Catholic, and he was the youngest of 11 children. I'm the youngest of six. And his dad and the two brothers, Paul and Peter, next to him, so the two brothers closest to him and their dad, those three died in a plane crash. And so Colbert is talking to Anderson Cooper about grief and life, and I'm going to show two quick clips. I had a, I had a friend who lost someone recently, lost a child, and she said, how did your mother do this? And I said, I wish she was here to tell you. Mm. But it had to do with, um, had to do with uh, love. And it had to do with her for loving God. And I have the crucifix on my wall. That was hers when I, and I inherited it when she died. And she would pray to Our Lady and say, she knows what it is to lose a child. Mm. 
And her example of her faith stays with me. And that is the, we're asked to accept the world that God gives us and to accept it with love, you know. If God is everywhere and God is in everything, then the world as it is is all just an expression of God and his love. And you have to accept it with gratitude because what is the option? What is the option? I'm not advocating we pray to Mary or we become Catholic. I'm just saying Colbert has a theology of maturity. He has a theology that understands what life is, that life doesn't need to be perfect to be awesome. That grace is poured out to us in so many different ways than we expect. I want to end with this last clip. Uh, that you have learned to, in your words, love the thing that I most wish had not happened. Um, You went, on, you went on to say, uh, what punishments of God are not gifts? Do you really believe that? Yes. It's a gift to exist. It's a gift to exist. And with existence comes suffering. There's no escape from that. And I guess I'm either a Catholic or a Buddhist when I say this. Because <laughs> I've heard those from, from both traditions. But I didn't learn it that I was grateful for the thing I most wish hadn't happened, is that I realized it. Mm -hmm. Is that, and it's, a, it's an odd, oddly guilty feeling. It, it doesn't mean you. I don't want it to have happened. I want it to not have happened. Right. But if you are grateful for your life, which I think is a positive thing to do. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Not everybody is, right. and not, I'm not always, mm -hmm. um, but it's the most positive thing to do. Then you have to be grateful for all of it. It's, you can't pick mm -hmm. and choose what you're grateful for. And then, so what do you get from loss? You get awareness of other people's loss. Well, that's true. And which allows you to connect with that other person, right. which allows you to love more deeply and to understand what it's like to be a human being, if it's true that all humans suffer. Right. And so, at a young age, I suffered something. So that by the time I was in serious relationships in my life with friends or with my wife or with my children is that I somehow understand that everybody is suffering and however imperfectly acknowledge their suffering and to connect with them and to love them in a deep way that not only accepts that all of us suffer but also then makes you grateful for the fact that you have suffered so that you can know that about other people. And that's, that's what I mean. It's, it's like the fullness of your humanity. Mm -hmm. What's the point of being here and being human if you can't be the most human you can be? I'm not saying best. So, again, please hear me. I'm not saying let's be Catholic or some of the other things he said. I'm like, well, that needs to be qualified. My point is he has a theology of maturity. And he does not have a sense of, of spiritual entitlement. Instead, he has a spirit of gratitude for it all. And he, I don't know whether he realizes or not, but he's literally quoting 1 Corinthians 
One, with the compassion we have received, we show compassion to others. That's straight out of the Bible. So back to Joshua. He gets this stripped down from the angel. And he says, no, dude, no, 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 no. I am not on your side. You're on mine. Got it. And I love Joshua because he's a leader. So his leadership, leadership gift comes out. And after the strip down, he still has the tenacity to go back and say, okay, you're not on my side, but what's the prophetic strategy for success in my next endeavor? <laughs> like, that dude's got conas, man. Like, wow, okay. And the angel says, no word. No prophetic word. Because I don't want you to hold on to the prophetic word. I want you to hold on to me. Because I know, I know what it's like. See, Joshua, they crossed over the Jordan River, flooded. They have the, it was at flood stage. Lord parted it. Two to three million people are here. So they got this flooded river on this side. They got a fortified city of Jericho on this side. They are literally stuck. They are literally stuck between a rock and a hard place. You ever feel just totally stuck and hemmed in by the Lord? And really what we want is, Lord, if you're not gonna give me breakthrough, at least give me a word. And in this case, he says, no. I don't want you 99% surrendered I want it all surrendered. So I'm not gonna even give you the prophetic strategy for the next endeavor. Instead, take off your sandals. The place of meeting between me and you right now has become holy. And I need you to surrender it all. All of it. My main promise is I will never leave you to forsake you. Is that enough? Because I have great plans for you, Joshua, and the people of Israel and Evergreen. I have great plans for you. But we've got to remain plumb. We can't get off a little bit. We can't have this sense of spiritual entitlement and then have a hissy fit when things don't go your way. That's not gonna get you where I wanna take you. But a sense of 100% surrender in this place of holiness is what I need. And this is what's gonna get you where you need to go. Can we have the worship team come on up? We're not gonna have prayer teams this morning quite yet. But during this next song, we're gonna just meet Jesus like it was the first time. We're gonna surrender it all, just like the first time. We're gonna come back to Plum. We're gonna say, Lord, I was blaming you for stuff I had no right to blame you for. Where else am I gonna go? There was a... Um, 
wonderful song, speaking of Vineyard in the 90s, sorry guys, by a guy named David Roos that said, though the mountains fall, they fall into the sea. And though my colored dawn may turn to shades of gray, and though my questions asked may never be resolved, whom have I but you? Like, where else are you going to go? Where else are you going to go? I, I, I have nowhere else to go. When my life is really, really hard, I have nowhere else to go. So I just lay it all down again. Just come back to that place. Even if you don't even give me a word, Lord, I declare your goodness. So this morning, this place up here and in the aisles and down here has become holy ground. If you'd like to take off your shoes, if you'd like to come down and kneel and just surrender it to the Lord, come down. If you'd like to just take off your shoes and sit where you are and surrender it, surrender it. We're just, we're just resetting what's what. And so during this next song, and I'm, I'll come up, um, Carol and I are gonna come up afterwards, but just begin to come forward. Begin to come forward into this meeting place with the Lord.